Welcome to episode 50 of the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joey Brannon here with Devin Dash. And Devin, this week we're going to be talking about part two of Reach. Yes, part two of Reach. If you missed part one, go back and listen to episode 49. Reach is a psychometric profiling tool that we use for our leadership teams, uh, for the clients that we work with. And it is essentially uh, the tool helps us understand how people work. Uh, and, and basically it helps us understand how they work with people or, or how they achieve goals. Right. And uh, it's, a, it's a super helpful tool because in addition to helping us understand how people think and how they tick and how they operate, it also gives us and equips us with the ability to help them grow mm-hmm. um, in areas that they may not feel strong. And so part one, we talked about the relating styles, uh, and there's two styles that go along with reach that kind of make up your profile. And uh, this this week, part two, we're talking about the achieving styles and or the achieving style and the five dimensions that make up one's achieving style. So on that relating style, we're basically talking about relating relationships, people, right? And so and so there's a whole bunch, there are five different dimensions that kind of make up how you score on that style. And in the achieving dimension, if relating is about people, achieving is about like accomplishing stuff. Is that basically the gist of it? Or Exactly, yeah. One's achieving style is their orientation towards thinking or acting as they pursue goals. Okay. Right, and we referenced this last last time on our podcast that this is not whether or not people achieve goals. Right. So when uh, this one in particular, when you get into people's, you know, the way they think and the way we are talking about goal goal orientation or your orientation towards how you pursue goals, people can their their feathers can get ruffled because you know you might you might look at yourself on one end of the spectrum and. I think our, our heavily achievement-oriented individuals are going to be tempted to think, oh, well, they're on the other end of the spectrum. They're right. sluggards, you know, and that's yeah. not what we're talking and about. We see, yeah, and this is hard. Like when we use this in day-in, day-out practice, one of the things that doesn't make our job any easier is that both of these styles, so there's, there's like five components of each style. Those are the dimensions. Yep. And you, you get a score in those dimensions, and those scores are weighted. So some of the dimensions weigh more heavily than the others. But then the aggregate of those scores give you a score for your relating dimension and a score for your achieving dimension on a scale of 0 to 100. Right. So to your point, like just because you score uh, a 2, you know, I saw a report this last week that had a 2 on it. I can't remember whether it was relating or achieving. Like there's the tendency to be like, oh, you got a two on your exam. I got a hundred on my exam. You know, that's the better score. And that's what we're constantly having to battle that of like, it's just a number. There's no quantitative or qualitative basis to the score in terms of whether you're going to be successful or somebody else is not. Or one of the things that we are are, uh, often uh, cautioning people who use these tools against is like nothing of this, nothing in this is predeterminative. Of your role. Exactly. So like a a good example, uh, working with a client right now, just getting started, and the person who is is seen as the leader, widely acknowledged as the leader, highly regarded as the leader, is uh, in that advisor quadrant. So like we're kind of jumping ahead, but go back and listen to last week and you'll kind of understand the advising quadrant is people who are lower on the relational scale, lower on the achievement scale. 
but everybody views this person as a, a phenomenal leader mm-hmm. and want more time with him, they may not quite understand that the reason that he's not necessarily bent to spend a lot of time is because that relating dimension isn't there, but nobody questions his leadership capacity or his ability. And by the same token, we see a lot of leaders who are in that coach quadrant, high relating, high achievement, but they may not have the better, they may not have any better or as good a performance as the person who's an advisor or a driver or a counselor. So none of this is predeterminative. Yeah, you know, and it's it's good that, you know, it's kind of cool that this team that we're working with has the opportunity to acknowledge, eventually, you know, we're going to present this to them and they're going to see firsthand mm-hmm. that great leaders are not the charismatic, you know, go-getter that we all assume a great leader is. Um, and, but, you know, we, on the other end of that spectrum, as I just, you know, just said, we often view the charismatic leader or the charismatic, you know, personable guy who's jovial. Mm-hmm. We all, we always, we want to say, oh, he must be a leader or right. he has to be a leader. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You look at, uh, you know, like, I don't know what dimension Steve Jobs would have fallen under, but pretty good, pretty good um, guess that Wozniak was probably on, on diagonal to him, right? Yeah. The opposite in a lot of ways. Uh, both of those guys were viewed as a leader, but one's personal style lends itself much more to publicity, to write-ups, to public acknowledgement and recognition. And I think that creates problems, you know, for people's perception of leadership styles because, you know, it, it's, um, I can't remember what the fallacy is, but, you know, it, it's basically... Uh, just because that's what we see all the time doesn't mean that that's what it is. There could be a lot of things that we're not seeing that if we were would change our perception of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump into achievement style. So we've got five dimensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, is the first one that we're going to talk about, is it likewise the most heavily weighted one, the same way the first yeah. writing style was the most heavily weighted? Yeah, we're going to talk about these in order of weighted, okay. and, you know, in terms of uh, giving you an overall score for your achieving style. And so the first dimension is intensity. And everyone can... Sounds pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, this one is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it's one when I'm in casual conversations with people, I will kind of ask them and say, you know, when, when you're like pursuing something that you're passionate about, do you dive in, like do you jump in with both feet and do you tend to leave the people around you like in your dust? Mm-hmm. Or do you tend to like really take a, a focus, like a more measured approach to man, I really, I really want this car or I really want to buy this house and I'm going to make sure that I have all of my financials in, in order and I'm going to make sure that I, I pursue this in, in the most methodical manner. And uh, it's a, I'm measuring one's intensity. I'm getting a rough idea. It's not scientific by any stretch, but I'm getting an idea for how this person pursues goals. So it's not intense or not intense. It's, it's uh, what are the two ends of the spectrum on this one? It's measured and intense. Measured. And so measured would be that person who's like, I've got to get all my ducks in a row. I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm ready to go before I jump in versus the person who is just like, we got to get this done. You know, tell me what you need. I'll get it to you. Maybe they get it. Maybe they don't. And then they're calling you back going, did you, you know, are we ready to go yet? Are we ready to go yet? That's that kind of. Yeah. And in last part, we talked about, we used a, we used a pool, the analogy of a pool. Right. The, the more measured individual, they, it's not that they don't want to go swimming. I mean, especially here in Florida, we're going to get into a season of summer where we're going to go swimming every day. Yep. Now. We don't have to deal with this. You know, this is a, maybe a poor illustration, but the measured individual is going to, you know, t- dip their toe in the water and go, eh, I need it a little bit warmer. Then they're going to go 
adjust the th- crank you know, up pool. the solar. Right? Yeah, crank up the solar. They're going to heat the pool a little bit. They might go in for a drink, come back out, and they're, and they're going to take the steps into the pool. But the person who is more intense is like they they're got their shirt off before they even get on the patio, and right. they're jumping in the deep end. Right. Um, so that's that's you know intensity is measured as like man, I'm just going to go jump right. in with both feet and get after it. Where a more measured individual is, is going to, you know, they're, they're going to approach, I guess, you know, the tendency, I guess, if you would say, if we were going to rate all of the people who are measured on the extreme, they would be more measured. They would be a little bit more uh, cautious in their approach. They would definitely kind of take yeah. take their time. Check all the chemicals first, make sure there's no botulism in the pool, make sure. Yeah, exactly, right, exactly. Right, kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. You know, so we uh, we see this in leadership teams where you have, I mean, we talked about the, the, the meeting table last, mm-hmm. last time, and we see this in our leadership teams when you have someone who is, pers- this leadership team is pursuing the same vision. Mm-hmm. And they all have the same goals for the year. But a more measured individual is going to be the one to raise their hand and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Do we have this, 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 this? You know, they're, they're very thinking oriented. And the on the other side, you're going to have conflict because you have an individual who's going, what's the holdup? Yeah, you're slowing us down. Yeah, here. you're slowing us down. And is one right or wrong? Is one right or wrong? Right. No, they're just different. And we have to, this is where the tool is really helpful because we can bring out this dimension, especially when there's frustration around the table as to the, the progress that we're making or, you know, on a given timeline. Yeah. The expectation of, of how long something was going to take is different across individuals. And so we bring this out to go, hey, in some ways you are going to have to acknowledge that your tendency is towards a slower pace. Right. It's funny when we look at this uh, in practice again, you know, you and I are talking about something on a podcast that we see every day. So part of this may not play well for radio, but, you know, when we describe like what this looks like in real world, we we have reports and the reports will say uh, list the intensity dimension Mm -hmm. of the achievement style and it'll have everybody's name. Right. And down the left hand side of the page. And then there's just a little line graph that has their dot on that line in terms of where they sit in the measured versus intense scale. Yeah. And so we see this page and it's got all these dots on it. Like and some are on the far left hand side of the line, very measured. And some are on the far right hand side, very intense. Yeah. And uh, and we, we deal with small businesses. So you know, a lot of times there might be like uh, the, the example I'm thinking of, there's three. There's three lines on the page because we're talking just about the ownership group. If we look at everybody, there might be seven, eight, nine lines on the page, but it's not like there's a hundred, right? So if we're looking at a a leadership team particularly in your example of people sitting around the table and we look at this and we feel for the person because we're looking at this and there's four people, maybe five, let's say there's five people in the group and four of them are almost all the way to the right-hand side of the page, intense as can be. Yes. And you got one person who's sitting over there who's like two-thirds or three-quarters to the left side, more measured. Or like, man, you must have some really rough days during the <laughs> weekly yeah. leadership team meeting, right? Because it's like I got – it's like being hitched to a runaway train. It probably feels that way for yeah. this person sometimes. So when we run into those situations, like what do you – how do you get that team to, is it as simple as showing them the page and they go, oh, I get it? Or how do you explain it to them? Like, the, this is 
this might be something you guys are struggling with and here's what to do about it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's definitely a, when, when you have the data in front of you, when you see that I'm, I'm just wired to be more measured in my approach to things, it, it is so much more helpful for that leadership team just to engage and have healthy dynamic around the table, j- just being aware, right? Just getting the insight that we're different. Not wrong, just different. And it, that, that in turn helps the two communicate better so that the measure person has the you know, wherewithal to go, okay, I know that you guys are going to push me out of my comfort zone. And likewise, the intense individual is going to have to realize that this person who is more measured than in their approach may actually save us mm-hmm. from getting to a roadblock that we could have avoided yeah. You know, so so in terms of timelines, we have a project and we're trying to drive achievement on this project. We're very intense. We realize we forgot to get all of the, the state registration and legal documents that are required to, to do interstate traffic, right? right? So, or interstate commerce. Well, we left, We didn't we have that conversation like 13 weeks ago? Yes. And we... we Pushed past and we ignored it because we didn't. And we bulldozed John because we just felt like he was exactly, getting in our way. Exactly. So just the, some and sometimes that that dynamic, seeing that dynamic on a page is helpful. Um, and, and again, it's we're talking about how people think and how they tick. One is not wrong. Yeah. It, so really, that that realization, that insight, helps the team know. There are strengths on both sides. Yeah, I think if you're a, a you know self-aware leader, like all these rooms have one person who's ultimately kind of responsible for making the call on a small decision or a big decision. If it comes to the leadership table, like there's usually one person who's going to be a deciding vote if it's a tie or whatever. And I think it's important for that person, whoever it is, to realize that okay, so I, so me and Devin and but we'll use our team. So let's yeah. say me, Devin, and Cameron are are wired intense, and Carrie's wired more measured. And so if I'm if I've got this idea, and you're really advocating for it, mm-hmm. right? Then I'm like, okay, but I kind of need maybe I need to take that with a grain of salt because he's also intense. He's also trying to push him. But if Cameron's advocating for it, okay, well now we're three. But, like, I really should be getting Carrie's input because I might be missing something here. And I think that's where we can sometimes see, like, this, I don't want to say false advocacy, but misleading advocacy where you feel like your position is being bolstered because these other people are, are also saying, yeah, that's a great idea. But the, the reality is they think pretty much just like you do. Like yeah. You're not getting any diversity of opinion. You're not getting any new insight or new information that's actually going to help you make a better decision. Yeah, and you can actually leverage, you know, maybe let's just assume that it is a good decision, right? How do we qualify that? If everybody around the table knows that and we know our leadership style, we know our, our achievement style is to be intense, we can actually leverage that and say, okay, we all are on board with this. Instead of getting moving forward on this and getting into a place where we're having to solve problems that may have been able to be, that we may have avoided. Okay, we all agree that this is a good thing. Let's go to Carrie, in our case, who's probably who's more measured, and say, "This is what we're thinking. What are your questions?" And then she can give us the download of all of her questions, her concerns, and we can run forward. We can pursue this with the same intensity, 
aware of all those potential, you know, the, the questions that she had, the things that she would have thought of as we pursued this goal that may have slowed us down if we had to go right. to her and say, hey, what about this? Right. Hey, what about this? What about this? She can just give us the, the list and we can have those things on our on the forefront of our mind as we, we run down the tracks. Right. That's a good point. All right. So intensity. Intensity. Next is assertiveness. Okay, it makes sense. We're talking about achievement style, like intense, assertive people tend to be this kind of, we might call it like a go-getter. Mm-hmm. So how does the REACH tool define assertiveness? Assertiveness is the measure of how you assert your viewpoint or feelings. And the choices are? Yeah, so on, on the, the low end of the scale, and as a reminder, if you didn't listen to part one, we say just naturally using the language low end, high end of the scale but again, think left and right. Left and right is right. really what we're talking about. And in ter- on a bell curve, some are more left, some are more right. right. One is not right, one is not wrong. So on the left-hand side, you have a person who's more reflective. Right? They're not. It's not that they don't have feelings. It's not that they don't have thoughts. They're just more likely to be to stay in their head. And especially when you have individuals on the other end, on the right side of the bell curve, who are very confident. Okay, so confidence is kind of the hallmark of assertiveness. Yeah, on a high, on the right end of the scale. Yeah, you know, and on a, on the, I guess if you were looking at this in a, you know, you have a very confident individual who may not have a really high emotional intelligence. They tend to be a bulldozer, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, we've run into a few of those. Yeah, right? they kind of stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, and so you know, it's it's if they know that they're confident, they know that they're very quick to assert their viewpoint, and that that doesn't always bode well in winning advocates or, or winning people to your argument or winning people to, you know, rallying people around you, they may have done the reflection up front or they may think for a second and then quickly assert their viewpoint. Uh, so in, in, a, in a room that we, I guess I'll just use our team as an example, you know, we see this, we have three individuals who are very confident. We're very quick to assert our viewpoints and it's like, hey, I like that, but what if we adjust it this way? What if we think like this? And two of the individuals on our team are not very confident. That doesn't mean they don't have thoughts. It just means when we're dominating the conversation and we're sharing our ideas and sharing our feelings about a given subject, they're, they're listening right. and they're formulating their thoughts and opinions. And it's important for us to acknowledge that their thoughts and their feelings are valid and they're smart people. They're sitting around our leadership table. So we, should, we definitely need to be, need to be conscious to pause once all the feelings and all the thoughts, you know, and all the data is out about a given subject, then we stop and say, what do you think? Have you thought about this yet? Or, hey, can you give me your thoughts, you know, jot your thoughts down about this and send them to me in an email? Because they may, you know, a person who's more reflective, they, they are really thinking, again, they might be more reflective. They might also be more measured. They're not going to make a quick decision right. about this. And because in some cases, they don't want to make a wrong decision about something. Yeah, it's, I think this is the one that I think a lot of people do take into account because it's the, it's the wallflower. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, I can't remember the, uh, one of our clients uh, talks about, John Goethe talks about like the, the logs and the, the logs and the frogs or something like that. But it's okay. basically that idea of like you got the people who just, 
I don't want to say won't shut up, but won't shut up. You know, and you got the people that you have to pull into the conversation. I think a lot of us have recognized that dynamic, whether it's back in our college days working on a you know, group project together or whether now we're facilitating a meeting in a business context. And you'll hear people say, you know, hey, John, you know, I can see the wheels turning. What are you thinking? Yeah. Right. Um, and I think one of the things that we would say, and you just hit on it, is like even then, John may not, you may not get John's best thinking. Right. Right. It's they're just they're acknowledging the fact that he's John's quieter than the rest of us, and maybe he's not going to dominate the conversation. But this idea of reflection versus confidence, and again, like on the on the confidence side, it's not about security or insecurity. It's exactly. just your willingness to to come out with the idea. Regardless of who's around, regardless of, you know, somebody may be holding the equivalent of a shotgun right there ready to blow your balloon out of the air. You don't care. Like, it's my idea. Like, let them take a shot. Well, then we'll talk about it. And the reflective person is, like, hypersensitive to the fact that uh, the, the idea I may put up there may not be a good one. And it's not, they're not scared of the shotgun. They're scared of the fact that the balloon may not be a good balloon to put up. If some jackass wants to shoot it down, they can. But... I want to make sure that I'm, I've fully considered the balloon. Uh, so, and, and again, on the confident people, I, the other thing that I don't want, I don't want people to hear what I'm not saying or what we're not saying, which is like, it's not that confident people don't think. Right. Right. So it's just in the context of some of these group dynamics that we're talking about. Um, they may have been, they may have been ruminating on this. They may have been building the case you know, like our business owners, like they had the idea in the shower four days ago. Right. And they've been constantly, you know, biting their tongue, waiting until they could get into the leadership team meeting. And, and man, it comes out and they're confident about it. But there also has been quite a bit of thought that's gone into it. Yeah. And then so if you have a leadership team where let's say the business owner, hopefully the business owner is coming to one individual and going, hey, man, I'm really thinking about this. I, I would love this. I, what, do you, what do you think? And then that's it. Right. And if the person, if he, if the business owner is aware and he has this tool in front of him and he knows that he, he trusts this this partner, he trusts this leader, they're they're a huge cog in the leadership wheel, then he just lets them sit with that, and then he continues to think about it. And, and in many cases, you know, we see this that the val- the idea starts to validate itself, and that, I think that's one of the great things about creating new opportunities in business is we can constantly refine it and work on it. But then he goes back to the end of uh, you know his his trusted advisor his, his trusted leader and says hey have you thought more about this right. and then that's when the, the you get that yeah yeah I here what if we do this and, and, and add this to it or you're going to get additional ideas um, so I, I think I, I like the the distinction that we're making that is not that confident people don't think and it's not that reflective people are, are insecure right. Right. It's just that we, when we tend to have the opportunity to share ideas, share feelings, reflective people are more considerate and, and are definitely going to, to not be as likely to, to just jump out and have the spotlight on them, if you would. Hi, this is Joey Brannon. I wanted to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. 
If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you, to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. All right, so we're on dimension number three for achievement. What's that one? Yeah, dimension number three is risk tolerance. So risk tolerance, everybody, you know, I would say that everybody is on a scale of risk averseness, right? So there's no person who is absolutely impervious to risk. Right, right. We're all on a scale of risk averseness to some extent. But on the right end of the the scale, you have people who are much more bold. Okay. Right. So no, no surprise there uh, that, that there are people who are, who are much more tolerant of risk. And then on the left hand side, you have people who are more cautious. So pretty self-explanatory. It's the dimension that measures how you approach a risky situation. So I think of the, the typical when in high school, we would go on these canoe trips and we would canoe down the Peace River and the Peace River at like near the end of the river. The Peace River is a local alligator infested yeah. swamp of a, <laughs> of a river. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so my brother and I, or my friends, we would always get into the canoes and we're, we're, we're teenagers. So everybody gets the picture that we, we feel invincible. And I, I guarantee it was, it was probably, yeah, every year I'm hundred percent confident that it, we didn't get 50 yards down the river when somebody's canoe was flipped because we decided to play battleships. Right. Right? But really bold. We didn't, you know, we know that there's gators. We can remember canoeing by gators and watching them storm down the bank and get into the river. So uh, very bold to just say, yeah, you know what, there's, there's gators in here, but we're, we're going to have fun and we're just going to take the risk and right. battleship with one another. Well, near the end of the river... There was train tracks, and I, I believe they were abandoned. We never saw a train in all the years that we we canoed down this river, but we never saw a train. And at the end of the, you would always pull your canoe up on the bank, and you would go, and everybody, it was kind of a, a rite of passage, you would get up and you would jump off the train tracks. Now, we're thankful as teenagers that there was always an adult there who was extremely risk-averse, was very cautious, and they would be the ones to go to the middle of the river and go down as far as they could to see if they could feel bottom. And if their head was still sticking out of the water when they touched bottom, all the, the bold teenagers who were already up on top of the train tracks getting ready to jump off knew that it wasn't safe. Right. Or were aware that, hey, if we're going to jump, it's not a pin needle dive. You know, right. we, we got a cannonball and we got to <laughs> quickly stop ourselves. But we're already up here, so we're, we're not going to walk back down. Right. We're jumping off. So uh, that was, you know, something fun that we did in high school. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of the – on a leadership team, if you have somebody who is, starts to be more cautious, they're, not a, they're more reflective, they're more measured in their approach, these are the cerebral leaders that, we're, that we work with. And it, it's, it's very important for us to identify that in our individuals because it's, it's – Definitely not wrong, right? It's it's way it's just a, it's just a different way of thinking. It's different for me. It's a much more measured 
approach to thinking. And so when we, we say, here's where we get to some of the things like, none of this is predetermined, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we shouldn't be surprised that jobs uh, and responsibilities and roles that reward a more measured, more cautious uh, approach, they uh, we're going to find more of these people in there because, like, they they get rewarded for carrying out, for thinking in ways, for acting in ways that are like in complete congruence with what makes them comfortable. Exactly. So when you think about somebody who's more measured, when you think about somebody who's more cautious, what was the other one that we talked about? Reflective. Yeah. Um, you know, we do see uh, a lot of our people who are focused on, say, compliance mm-hmm. or human resources, right, where a more measured approach is like you can be as bold as you want to be until you start messing with people's compensation, right? Yeah. You can be bold as you want to be until, until it comes time to file a sales tax return. And you, you probably shouldn't be very bold when you're filing a sales tax return. <laughs> That's probably not a good thing. Uh, when you are, you know, when if you get into the legal field and you know, it, it, there's a, a, a perception that like litigators, you know, oh, those are like the mavericks. But the truth is when you're talking about the stakes involved in litigating a case and potentially being in front of a judge or a jury, yeah, I mean, boldness might have its place in mediation or negotiation. Yeah. But when it comes time, when the stakes are so high that somebody could lose a case because you didn't dot an I across a T, you'll find that a lot of those people are extremely measured, are extremely cautious. They are inc- incredibly risk-averse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, it's not predeterminative, but this does start to, you, you can start to wrap your head around the fact that we do see, say, more controllers, more CFOs who tend to be um, on the, the left side of that achievement drive, who are more measured, who are more methodical, who are not as bold or not as uh, confident, assertive type folks. Yeah. And that's, I think the, the kind of the key there is the, the brain chemistry of an individual that makes that, that these measure, right? The, how an individual ticks that this profile or this tool is, is supposed to measure is absolutely fits that, that an individual who's more measured, more reflective, more cautious would fit those roles well. But we also identify that the skills that make an advisor or make a, a bookkeeper or make somebody in litigation uh, successful are not, not directly tied to their, their brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know, so, for example, you might have a CEO who is very much, you know, he's a coach. Let's just say he's a coach. He's very good at painting a big picture for everyone in the organization where he wants to go. He's very good at helping them understand why they're spo- they, they want to get there and inspiring them to follow alongside him. In, a be- in the best case scenario, he's also very conscious of uh, a skill that is much more related to somebody who is cautious, reflective, or measured He's also very much aware that if I want, I can't just inspire these people to come along with me. I'm also going to have to give them the tools along the way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to provide the resources for them, and 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 provide resources for them so that they can not get left in my dust. And that's where those skills that are generally associated with someone who is much more measured, much more cautious, and much more reflective. Let's, for example, 
providing resources, uh, identifying the necessary resources for, for success, though, that skill can be learned. So somebody who is more on, on the left side of the, this achievement, these achievement dimensions is more likely to be stronger at those things because they're running across, let's just say they're running across a problem all the time and they go, oh yeah, I've thought about this over and over and over again. I've seen it over and over and over again. And this is the resource and the tool that, that is going to, to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, again, it's, it's, it's good to look at these and just understand where your pe- the people in your organization fall on these dimensions and not see them as not see them as weaker, or right. not see them as uh, less successful or less of a leader. Just see that their leadership style is different. Right. All right. So now we're what's number four? Number four is adaptability. So adaptability on the left hand side of the scale, you have people who are more consistent. They prefer consistency. And on the right hand, you have individuals who are more flexible. So the, these are, you know, I guess defined, these would be people, how do you navigate change is the question. And, and adaptability is the measure of how one navigates change. Do they? I'm, I'm more consistent or I'm more flexible. Yeah. So I think uh, for me, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? And I kind of make a joke about that because I prefer consistent flexibility, so it's, it's not that I don't like consistency. Like, I like to be very technically competent in certain things. But if things change, I'm okay with that mm-hmm. as long as they don't all change at once. Right. You know, so if you change one or two variables and I'm able to navigate, I, I'm, I can do that. Whereas others, you know, I guess if you're on the far end of the spectrum, you, you're, you're very flexible. You, you roll with all the punches and nothing phases right. you. Right. So I'm on the extreme right of that scale like very flexible mm-hmm. um, which is a distinct disadvantage when it comes to running systems and processes because I'm not very consistent mm. right, so I'll give you a non-work related example uh, so we have a pool at home and about a year or two ago we decided that uh, we would fire the pool guy and save some money and we start running down to pinch a penny and have them check our chemicals and we would do it you need to be very consistent with that, right? <laughs> and I am not. And we, we thought we would delegate it to our two teenage boys. It turns out they haven't been very consistent at it either. I think that's more of a responsibility thing than a consistency <laughs> thing. But, um, but that's just an area I struggle. Like I, you need to get the water checked every week. Mm. And if you don't, you're going to have a pretty expensive visit, you know, on the third or the fourth week because you, you have to shock it, you have to add acid, you have to... Add all kinds of stuff, and I walk out of there having paid. You know, like I think the first time that my first bill, you know, was like twice what we were paying the guy to come once a month, and I'm like, this is this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> right? And after enough pain, you learn to be a little bit more consistent. But I can tell you, I'm still terrible at it. Now, the the upside to that, or, or almost like the perverse side of it, is if the pool pump itself breaks, like it doesn't phase me. You know, it's like, well, it's just, it's one more thing with the pool. Like, it's, it's not chemicals this week, it's the pump, right? Mm-hmm. It might be more expensive, 
but the other side of it too is like I kind of like to fix things. So yeah, it's a win-win, right? Like I'm going to get it sucks on one hand because I'm going to have and be out the money, but on the other hand, I get to work on something and you know and learn a new skill. I'm going to watch some YouTube videos. I'm going to learn how to rewire a pool pump. Or yeah. Maybe I'm going to upgrade to a two-stage or something like that. So in a in a non-work context, we often see this stuff in like routines. Can you follow a routine? You know, are you the person that I have a friend whose yard is immaculate it, and it's always immaculate. It doesn't matter where he lives. I've watched him move two or three times. He always has within three or four months, he has the best looking yard in the neighborhood. Yeah. I've never had him take the reach profile, but if I did, I'm pretty sure he would be super consistent on this on the scale. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, he, if it's, if Friday is yard mowing day, he comes home from work and he mows the yard every single Friday. And if I'm like, Hey, let's go grab a beer after work. Like it's yard mowing day. Like, you know, <laughs> that's just, that's just the way he rolls. And the, in the business context, um, this shows up too, where I like to actually sit back with you uh, or somebody else on the team, and let's tear apart a process. Let's mm-hmm. think about a better way to do this, right? But you guys know I'm horrible at following the same process that I may have had a hand in designing, whereas Carrie on our team, yeah. like she's the process queen. If you want something to be done right every single time, give it to Carrie. And she's all the way over on the left-hand side of this, if, I, if memory serves. She's pretty close to it in terms of consistency. Um, so you know, and, and she'll tell you, I like to know, like on Mondays I do this, on Tuesdays I do this, on Wednesdays. You and I try to follow that same mantra yeah. because we just recognize it's better to time block. But I got to tell you, like there's a part of me that goes insane when I know like every Monday is going to look the same. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is going to look the same. Every Friday is going to Sometimes you just want to scream like I want I want to not be consistent today. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, in another work context, and, and we, we see this in the teams that we work with, that you have leaders who are much more flexible. I, I think I think there's a, an aspect of this. Again, we we're always talking. We, we struggle between generalizations and not, and we don't. The reason is we don't want to get too specific, right? And we say that because not all CEOs. I, we've worked with plenty of CEOs who are advisors or counselors, mm-hmm. so they're much more thinking oriented. We, we also work with a lot of CEOs who are co- co- coaches and drivers. So for our coaches and drivers, generally what we see in those contexts is a leader who is way much more flexible. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you might be experiencing this in your organization is you are on the fourth piece of software. <laughs> and your team is wondering when they're ever going to be able to be proficient at a piece of software or a tool. Or they're wondering if, if the workflow is, at, you know, to your point, if the workflow is ever going to be set in stone. Mm-hmm. And why? Well, we hire people who are driving operations to, to more often than not to do specific tasks or a group of tasks and be really efficient and proficient at those tasks. And so we, the flexible CEO comes in or the flexible leader comes in and says, hey, what if we tried this or Hey, I know that we we just added this tool a couple weeks ago, but we need we need to add this. It's really cool. It's it's an upgrade of technology. We need to add this one to our list. And everybody's shake. Everybody's putting their heads in their hands, and they're just they're frustrated, and they just want some some consistency mm-hmm. um, because even if they're more flexible in their their style, I think 
naturally they want if they're if they're to fulfill a role, they want to be more consistent at that role. Yeah. So I, I, that's that's one of the clear examples that we see in our business teams is, hey, we're gonna change, we're gonna add this no, this new tool, right? We, I mean, we've seen it here. I, I, I was thinking of a specific example, right? To to do lists, we are we are all about to dos and. Personally tracking our to-dos is really, we know we have to track to-dos, right? Otherwise, items fall through the cracks, clients get let down, we miss something. So for us people who are flexible, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Joey and me, more flexible, and it, we know we need, like the big goal, I guess, the thing that we're jumping in with both feet on is to-dos. We have to track to-dos. Right. But I'll tell you what. We, we've tried at least a dozen, two dozen different ways to track to-dos, to set up like little yeah. reminders and workflows to automatically track to-dos so we don't have to write them down. We can type them or text them. And now, we're still getting the to-dos done. Kind of. <laughs> yes. It, okay. <laughs> if we're transparent, oh, yeah, some I'm, fall I'm through the cracks. Struggling. Right. Yeah. Or, or we, we realize we feel like we know all the things we need to do. But we've gotten away from the way we were doing it three weeks ago. Yeah. And it's not, you know, we're tracking the to-do, but now it's back in our journals or it's in our notebooks. Yeah. And it's not in the, the app. So yeah, we had a, we had a, a that probably was like two years ago, um, where we had like some kind of like team survey. I can't remember what it was. No, it was my 360 review. So <laughs> another element of the Reach ecosystem is 360 reviews that kind of take a lot of these same concepts and and help us evaluate ourselves through the eyes of everybody else that's working alongside of us. And um, Carrie's, one of her comments, like the, the, they're anonymous, right? But she... We she, only had, what, three people yeah, on the team she was com- she was comfortable enough to be like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> and, um, you know, she basically was saying, I wish we would pick one CRM and just use it. You yeah. know, and that was, that stung a little bit because I was like, I'm good at picking them. And then I won't use them, which makes it really easy to just pick, like pick another one, pick another one, pick another one. Yeah. As, as we've added some more people that we've had to yeah. just basically say, like, this is the this is the one we're going to stick with. But we talk about this with business owners a lot, like the bright, shiny object syndrome. And, I, and probably, I don't know for certain, but it occurs to me that we're probably talking about the people who tend to be extremely flexible. Yeah. And for them, it's like, oh, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. And what we're, what we're not saying is that the people who are more consistent don't think it's a great idea. It's just that, like, there's a lot of uh, – there's a lot vested in us continuing to use the one that we're still using. And what's interesting is when you talk to those people about, well, why do you not think we should move to the new software? And some of the things you hear is like, well – we're not even using our existing software fully. Mm-hmm. Like there's this module, this module, and this module we've never even turned on. It's like you guys are talking about going to the next thing. Yeah. We and so part of their their pull to be more consistent is also helping them maybe be more creative in how we tackle these challenges. And this is another great example where we're not saying that flexible people tend to be more creative or consistent people more, tend to be more creative. I think the things that, create, that, that generate creativity a lot of times are boundaries. Mm. And so when we go to the flexible person, um, hey, in order to make you more creative, we have to constrain you. I know you're flexible enough to choose any CRM, but if we were to choose a CRM that had to fit these narrow parameters, you know, how would we do that? Where mm-hmm. would we look? Who would we interview? How would we find out? By the same token, if we take the consistent person 
and we say, like, how are we going to, or what are the what are the things that we should um, let's say it this way? When should we evaluate and think about moving to another CRM system? And it forces them to get out of the the mentality of well, what we've got is what we've got, and we never have to move. No, like think forward. Like, when are we going to have to step out of this comfort zone? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's and knowing, like you said earlier, knowing where people stand in terms of their natural propensity for things, just helps us. So much of what we do comes down to how do people work together. Exactly. Right? And we talk about like goodwill a lot. Yep. Right? Can I show the person across the table goodwill? Meaning, can can my assumption be that when Devin and I lock horns on something or on two different sides of an issue, that Devin really wants what's best for me? And can Devin put him in a, in a position where he believes that Joey wants what's, what's, what's best for Devin? We call that goodwill. Mm-hmm. And goodwill becomes a lot easier to grant when I know you more fully. And that's what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, when, somebody, when somebody's digging their heels in on, on a given subject and they're definitely, they fall more consistent there, there's that's not them trying to to buck up and and be stubborn, right? It's it's if you have this in front of you and you can see that they're more consistent, say that's that's a great opportunity for discovery. Mm-hmm. Say hey, you know how can we get how can we get more flexibility? You're digging your heels in. I know you prefer consistency. How 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 would you how would you see us change this or approach this change? Is a great way to to pull them and draw them out of flexibility. And to your point, why why do we have to change software? On the other end, we're not we're not even using these three modules as a way for an individual who's more consistent to draw somebody who might be more flexible and say, hey, can you reach a little bit and be flexible within the tool? Right. So great great insights there for sure. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic. And we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening, and now back to the episode. All right, are we on five? This is the last one. Bringing it home? Bringing it home. This is one of my favorites. I, I... I like this one so much because it, I, I learned from it. You know, I, I honestly, I had, there was, there was a piece of me that, um, as we get into the, the dimension and you guys understand what I'm talking from, I'm, I'm kind of speaking in code right now, <laughs> keeping us in suspense. but I like this one because it changed my perspective of me. And what I mean by that is I used to think that I was, there was something wrong with me and the way that I made decisions. So the dimension is decision-making. Okay. And the two, two different sides of it, on the left-hand side, you have people who are more analytical. On the right-hand side, you have people who are more intuitive. 
Now, the reason I like this one, probably one of my favorites, because it helped me so much understand that there's nothing wrong with me, <laughs> was because I'm, I'm, I'm almost 100% intuitive. And I used to think, I was, I was told all my life growing up that, you know, data and facts and, and these things are important in making decisions. And they are. I'm not saying they're not. I 100% agree that they are. But the, what I was taught was intuition was kind of like sticking your finger in your mouth just so you can hold it up to the air and feel the wind, which way the wind's blowing. Mm-hmm. Right? I was always taught that intuition was like that gut feeling. And so when people told me when I'm you know, in school, when I'm pounding like, you know, the scientific method, like think analytically, look at the data and approach it from this way, I always felt this like internal self like loathing because I was like, I, I just, <laughs> that's not I don't think that way. Right. Like that's not how I operate. I don't, I don't do an experiment and like put all the data down. But I'll tell you what. I will do an experiment and know what the end result is and figure out if I did it right or wrong Mm -hmm. because either something blew up or something beautiful happened. And that's the difference. So decision-making as a a dimension describes how we learn and process information in making decisions. So again, just like we look at um, intensity or, or we look at this dimension as a whole, it's not whether one side pursues goals or doesn't pursue goals. It's how they pursue goals. So how do you make decisions in, on this, this scale is you're either more analytical, you're looking on data, and you're, you're doing the research, and you're pulling all the case studies, and you're looking at Excel charts. On the other end of the spectrum, which is where I fall, is I'm relying on experience, right? So it, it, both are beneficial, right? In, in many cases, you have a lot, like I realized for me, me being intuitive in my approach means I need to like I need to take in a lot more experiences. So I need to expose myself to a lot of different situations. I need to expose myself to more challenges. I need to fail a couple times. I need to run the experiment two or three times. Whereas somebody who is more analytical may approach the experiment right the first time because they followed the ingredient. You know they followed the steps one, two, three. They paused. They collected. The, they wrote their data down or scribed their date, you know, the results, move on to step four, five, six. And both are important. Both are vital ways, just different ways of making decisions. So I think what you see in, in this, what you see, the conflict that arises in business contexts and, you know, in application is you see people who are holding up the pie chart and saying, the data doesn't prove that. And you're looking, you have a leader who is maybe is more intuitive, right? Maybe we could flip the scale, right? You have a leader who is saying the data does not prove that is a good direction. And you have, you have a, you know, somebody who's brought into the leadership team that goes, I know what the data says, but I, I've been in this exact situation before. I've, I've been through this and this is how we navigate it, mm-hmm. right? Which one's right and which one's wrong? Yeah, this one's it's difficult for me, um, and that's why your experience is very helpful. In that I've I look at uh, maybe earlier in my career and think I didn't have the experience that I felt like I would need to rely on experience and intuition, and so I did analyze things to death. Mm-hmm. And then as I as I had more, you know, case studies in my back pocket, you know that that 
primarily, maybe the difference is I'm attributing those case studies and the results or the learning that came out of them to the analysis that went into them or the analytical thought that went into them. Um, but the experience over time is what helped me rely more on intuition later. But you seem to be saying, you know, there's, so full disclosure here, there's, there's a, a pretty big age gap between the two of yeah. us, right? <laughs> so I'll just say it that way. Um, but, you know, from the get-go, you'd say you're more intuitive mm -hmm. in your process than analytics. So it's not necessarily something that has to do with, you know, how long you've been doing whatever you're doing, right? Uh, and it could be the case, you know, it, it, maybe there's some data and reach out there where the, you know, length of, of professional career, you know, versus where they stand on the, the uh, intuition versus analytical scale. Maybe there's some correlation. Maybe there's not. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe there's maybe there's not. You know, it seems to be saying that um, this is kind of the way that we we kind of have a natural bent toward thinking one way or the other. Um, but I would think you know, like I, I tend to to lean more heavily on the intuitive side. Um, which, but when I think of myself, I think of myself as very analytical. But mm. that could also just be. In a vocational bet, you know, so like it, it came up through like a, an accounting, tax and accounting, CPA, financial analysis kind of background. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, this one's an interesting one for me too, as well as for you. Yeah, and you know, and I think I think the big another piece of this that we need to kind of add to the conversation is, again, I I, I said it earlier, I hundred percent agree that analyzing data is important. But I might make a decision and then track the data to find out if we should continue moving this direction. Right. Whereas another person might do the research on the front end and go, this is a good direction to go, and then compare our da their data that they're also tracking with the benchmark right. data. So both are using data. Just one is using it to validate a decision that was made, and the other is using it to make and then validate the decision. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you know, I think I think that's another thing too is, is data can be qualitative or quantitative, right? We all learn that. The intuitive person is relying on qualitative, more more likely qualitative data from a past experience, mm -hmm. and the analytical person is more than likely relying on quantitative data to make decisions. Right. So, I, I think neither one is right or wrong, and I think the beauty of reach again is that. You need like neither one is right or wrong, but I will tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, the best leadership teams, the best leadership teams have a leader who is either analytical, intuitive, and he he or she has somebody else on the team who who they trust, who is on the other side. Yeah, and so we have hey, this is what the data is telling us, and then somebody on the team can either confirm or deny. Whether or not, hey, yeah, you're right. I've seen this before. We've walked through this, right? right. Turn, turnarounds, I think, might be a good case, right? Industry-based turnarounds, they go in. They've they've worked in this industry, turned around companies in this industry before. They might have to do a little bit of research on the the for more demographic and geographic type data and research just to make sure that there's su the subtle changes are are correct. But they, they have a general feel for what needs to change in an organization yeah. to, to make it more successful. 
So at this point, we've gone through the five dimensions of relational style, the five dimensions for achievement style, and having those results, uh, we wind up with this kind of scatter plot type chart. You know, mm -hmm. so it's a two by two matrix. You take a big square, you split it down the middle horizontally, you split it down the middle vertically, and you wind up with these four quadrants. So if you were to start, let's say, the top right quadrant and work your way clockwise, top right is our coaches yep. who have a high achievement drive and a high relational drive. Our bottom right quadrant is drivers who have a high achievement drive and a low relational drive. Mm -hmm. Our bottom left quadrant is our advisors who have a low achievement and a low relational drive. And our top left quadrant completing the square are counselors who have a high relational drive and a low achievement drive. So that, I've said a lot. We're, that diagram is going to be in the show notes if okay. you want to go to it and kind of wrap your head around. We keep talking about coaches, counselors, advisors, drivers. And that's that's where they sit on that map, and we you know come full circle. Like now that we know the five dimensions for relational, five dimensions for achievement, we come up with those scores. You wind up with a dot on the map somewhere. Yeah. And I want to circle back to what you just said about the the analytical. We also believe holds true, for, you know, in the aggregate for the scores. Is in that hey, if you're if you're highly analytical, you probably need to have somebody who's intuitive on your team to help balance that out. And the same holds for the styles as a whole. When you come up with these profiles and you say, hey, um, I'm you're, you're a coach. You're yeah. a coach through and through, thoroughbred coach. So high relation, high achievement. Um, I'm somewhere on the line between coach and driver. Um, Cameron on our team is also a... He's thoroughbred he's coach. He's a thoroughbred coach. Yep. Uh, Gina is... Uh, advisor advisor and Carrie is counselor mm -hmm. right and so what's really cool is like we've covered all the bases but you and I have both run into teams uh, where there's a lot of bases that aren't covered uh, yeah. like one of the teams that Axiom started working with recently everybody is below the horizontal axis so we got lots of advisors and we got lots of drivers and we have I think one person out of the 13 or 14 who were surveyed, who scored above that horizontal axis, and this, this person was a counselor. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we go, we have, we have some work to do if we don't bring anybody else in the room that has that high achievement drive and the high relational drive, then we're going to have to work extra hard to put on our high achievement and our high relational hat to make sure that when we're making decisions or we're planning strategy or we're deciding what goals are going to be, that we we cover those bases. So a, a well-balanced team is always easier. Doesn't mean that you can't do it. Doesn't mean that you're not going to be high functioning. But it probably means that you you in some sense whether you use this tool or not, you recognize that hey, like nobody here really wants to see the big picture and talk about why we're doing what we're doing. We should probably stop and ask why cuz we're all about the how or the what. Hmm. Um you know, and so like, yeah. If you can get, if you can cover all the bases, that's great. I mean, it kind of makes your life a little bit easier. Uh, again, though, like none of this speaks to competency, right? So like, yeah, you could you could, be, you could have we could have people in the room who covered all the bases, but you know, we we still might have like a C or a D player in the room, and it's like we got to either train this person up, put them in a better seat where the, their natural skills and abilities are a better fit, or like, we might have to look at replacing this person so it's not just enough to cover the bases but that's a big piece of it yeah yeah definitely uh, 
covering all the bases is is so so essential because as you spoke to competency the reach day the reach system the reach ecosystem has gone a step further right we always talk about how it's not prescriptive you can even though you are made the way you are like you, god created you this way it's nothing wrong with it they they have done extensive work to identify competencies that are associated with each profile so what i mean by that well there's 16 core competencies and four profiles and they found that coaches are naturally more inclined they operate more uh they they i guess they display these four you know four specific competencies easier so they might have I think one of them is... So I've got them right see, here. Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead and read them off. So coaching. So here's the, the competencies Devin's talking about that are associated with that coaching, that coaching style. Um, top right-hand corner. Building rapport, easing tensions during conflict, finding opportunities for synergy, and rallying others around a cause. So those are the things, those are the skills that coaches are generally deemed to be pretty good at. Yeah, so if you, if you find, if, you've t- if you took this test and you scored as a coach, you are probably going to identify pretty strong. If you're a thoroughbred clo- coach, you're definitely going to identify those as strengths, things I'm really good at. I mean, I can get a team. I can rally a team around a cause. I can build rapport among team members. Two people get into it. I can go in there and kind of play the peacemaker and get yeah. them to see, hey, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to get there together. Yeah. And Finding opportunities for synergy is like the, the last one. So I don't know what that looks like, but yeah, I think finding opportunities for synergy would be um, hey, there's uh, let's let's associate it with conflict because I I think one of the best ways to resolve conflict is to call the elephant out in the room, which is it's it's kind of like trying to hide, but once you start looking for it, you see it pretty clearly. Anytime there's a conflict, a majority of the time the conflict is not between the two people, like it's not like I'm on one side of the. It's not. On, I'm on one side of the the battlefield, and you're on the other side, and we're just gonna have to keep headbutting until we get we get this. You know, one of us bends or one of us breaks, and that's what we see most conflicts as. But if you if you look for the elephant in the room, the reality is, it's that you have two people who are different, who are more likely different, more than likely different, and the problem is something else. All right. And so if you add a, you know, let's say you, you know, hold your fists up and that's what we, you know, bunt them together. That's what we see conflict as normally. But if you, if you take a step back, you really dig deep and you start to figure out, so what, what's going on from both sides, you see that the conflict is really, there's a problem. The, the reality is these people, two people are trying to blame the other one for the right. problem. But the, the conflict is not the other person. The conflict is the problem. Right. And it's a, separate piece of the, it's a separate piece of the equation that we often miss. And so finding opportunities for synergy would be just going to the, the two parties and saying, okay, okay, okay. Now, there's some harsh words that have been said here, but the reality is, is neither one of you is the problem. This is the problem. Right. You call it out. What what you guys need, like what the, what the real pro- challenge is, is now let's figure out how we can come together and address this problem side by side. A good friend of mine, who's a, he's a great marriage coach, and uh, we were having lunch one time, and he used this exact same 
concept to illustrate something that we were talking about. Like, it was like Josie and I had had an argument about something or something. He goes, you realize that there was an appetizer in the middle of the table, mm-hmm. right? And he goes, you realize that that appetizer, you know, that's the problem. And he took his water glass that was on one side of the table and he put it on one side of the appetizer and took my water glass, which was on the other side, put it on the other side of the appetizer and said, you are looking at that problem from here and she's looking at that problem from there and you guys are so fixated on your view of the problem, that's what's creating the conflict. Mm. If we take your glass and we move it over to my side of the table and put put it right up against her glass, now you guys are looking at the problem from the same side and you can see the other points of view. And then maybe she'll be willing to walk around to the other side of the table and join you from your previous perspective. But you guys are now seeing the problem for what it really is. It's not about you. And you're saying that a good coach, one of their skills is that ability to get to either get two people to walk, you know, along to the same side of the appetizer mm-hmm, plate and look mm-hmm. at or potentially a coach is, should also maybe be good at walking around the plate. Yeah. Right. Themselves and sitting shoulder to shoulder with somebody and saying, "Hey, like, let's 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 find some common ground here. Let's find some synergy in addressing this." Yeah. So your point in in bringing up these um, characteristics, I think, is is like these are all skills. Like, even if you find yourself like, let's say, I'm not a coach. Yeah. I'm more of a driver than a coach. Um, so as a driver, I'll give you the four skills that drivers are good at, not that we have to go through all of them, but establishing clear expectations, evaluating individual performance, exercising control over processes, and guiding a team during change. Well, I don't think I'm good at those things, but apparently Reach does, so I'll go with it. Like, I like their opinion of me better than mine. That's a good caveat, though. <laughs> let, me, let me pause you there, right? Because I, I said it with coach. If you're a thoroughbred coach, those four competencies, you're like, oh, yeah, I've yeah, those are I'm. That's my bread and butter. Right. If you're not a thoroughbred, right? So you're, for example, I'm a half breed. You're, <laughs> you're like a <laughs> like coach right driver, right? The coach and the driver. So yeah. you're less likely to, you're less likely to identify those as core competencies. No, that makes sense. If you're not like in the bottom, in the corner right. of your given profile. But the, so let's say that I don't view myself as good. There's nothing that says you can't get better at establishing clear expectations. Like, why in the world would that be impossible? Yeah. Joey, you're not good at establishing clear expectations. You can get better at that. Well, how, tell me how I get better. Well, well like, you, tell me what you want. Like, tell me what your expectation is. Write it down. Can, is it measurable? Is there, is there a way? Can we set a, a time where we can come back to it and see how you've done? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, and, and one of, I guess, uh, just from personal experience, one of the, I guess, the developmental moments in our in our relationship and as I'm, I'm working with you, was pre- presenting, right? I, I, it's easy for me to get up in front of a large crowd and prevent, present a, a given topic, but oftentimes I, I tend to over-communicate and I don't really set clear expectations. And you identified it is because you just said, just say what you want to say. Just say what you want them to know and then go into the illustrations, go into the talking points and, and maybe extrapolate and, and talk about an idea or a theory related to this. But first things first, first things first, tell them what you want them to know. Right. And that was, that's very, like, I think about that all the time now. What do I want to say? What is the expectation? Even if I just spell it out for them, don't try to dance around it. Don't try to like inspire them to it first. Just tell them what. Yeah. And I think about that all the time now. So it, it was a really quick anecdotal, like just a tactic, but 
anybody can do that. Anybody, whether no matter what profile you're in, if you're struggling with setting expectations, just take a step back and ask the question, what do you want? And write it down. And then if tell it to somebody. If they don't get it, if they're not quite sure what is expected of them, you can find out by asking them, do you know what, what do you, what do you expect me? Like, what do I expect of you based on what you see there? And they'll tell you, well, I think about this and this and this and this and this. And you can confirm or deny whether or not what they're telling you they think the expectation is, is what your actual expectation is. And you can do that in a, you can do that in your feedback with employees. You can do that with your leadership team to say, guys, this is what I'm expecting. What do you like? Do you understand? Can you repeat back to me what I'm expecting of you? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a very quick, like short feedback cycle. So you don't spin your wheels going, oh, man, six months down the road. This is not what I expected to be happening. Right. Right. But it's a comp. It's a skill. The driver, you know, natural drivers are more than likely very good at going, hey, do you understand what's expected of you? Like, let me repeat it back to me. And uh, I think that's, but again, it's a skill that you can learn. So where do we go from here? Well, there's lots of ways to go from here. I mean, we can, when when you get into how your leadership teams think, how people how people interact. I mean, you you can really start to you you achieve so much in your organization just by knowing where people stand. Just by knowing where people stand. And we've talked about um, this two by two matrix and like all the pen pricks. We've seen some really interesting things at clients. Like one client has this on the wall. They're kind of a a reach pioneer. Mm. They're kind of on yep. the inside track. And they have everybody in the company take the reach profile as part of their onboarding process. And then they put their name up on this, which is probably like a three foot by three foot map on the wall that has the four quadrants. And so, you know, now everybody's aware, like this is where Joey sits, this is where Devin sits. This is where... So there's a lot of value in that for sure. Yeah. Um, we, we, you and I use it in terms of assessing like what's the component mix of the, the leadership team. Mm-hmm. Do we have, or do you have some quadrants that are just missing? And we know that when we go in to facilitate with that group, maybe we're going to have to step into that quadrant, you know, and kind of be the proxy for that quadrant because there's no team members there yeah. or train them to step into that very deliberately when we're not there. Um, and then I've seen you use the dimensions, and we've talked about this before, where you can go through the dimensions when uh, we've got a challenge with a team member, you know, or a client's got a challenge with a team member, and I've seen you walk them through the dimensions and say, like, listen, like, this is really what this is about. Um, it's not. It's not that they don't want to. It's just like that's just not what they're. It's not how they're wired. Like, yeah. You know, and um, so I, you know, there's practical application in all of it. I think uh, going back to the reach. Uh, like their tagline, like the resources to know, or the what is it? The insights to yep. know, the resources to grow. Um, like let, you got to start with insights. Mm-hmm. Like if you just don't know where your team's at in some of these things, then just get the insight. You know, and then you can go figure out. Okay, where am I going to get the resources? And and I would say, like we're fans of Reach. We kind of picked it, or it picked us, and we did a deep dive on it, and we liked kind of the extensive. It really is kind of an ecosystem where we can do 360 reviews, we can do culture surveys, and they're all kind of based on this same group of concepts. For, so for us, 
it fit really nicely into the work that we do with clients. But you can also get insights from Enneagram. You can get insights from DISC. You can get insights from Myers-Briggs. Like I, and I've got a friend who's a, who, who runs a, he's a church pastor, and, um, and his philosophy is all of them. Like, why would, you, why would you not get as much insight as possible? So they do all of these. They do REACH. They do Myers-Briggs. They do Enneagram. They do TTI. They do, you know, and from his standpoint, he's like, everything I can do to understand who's on our team and how they, how they work well and where they're challenged in working well together is going to make us a better team. And I think that's probably, you and I would say, like, that's the, the if we want people to have a takeaway from these two podcasts, it's like, if you don't have these insights... Or maybe you've you know you did it as a fun retreat thing. Everybody take the enneagram; it'll be a fun icebreaker. Yeah, it really should have a place in how you not just put together leadership teams, but ultimately how you handle conflict, how you uh, assess the sufficiency of plans or decisions that have been made. Like, I mean, we got no reflective people. We're all bold as hell. This is going to be a disaster <laughs> if we open this new location without getting somebody who's reflective to to give us some insight. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with if you if you just start with the matrix again, you get all those things with reach. There's there's so much more. Again, you said it picked us. The reason we love the tool is because you can after you get the initial insight. We have to remember as we're talking about the initial insight, it's all self reporting. And so some of the competencies that we're talking about are all self reported. So. If the person's a driver and they score fours and fives on their driving competencies, then you 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 kind of see the see the correlation. But we have also seen where individuals rate themselves as you know, let's just say they're a counselor, and they score themselves fives across the board. Now, I'm not saying this person's lying, right? Right. But like any good skeptic. We would have to analyze that, right. right? Experience tells me, going back to my intuition, experience tells me that nobody is a rock star, right? right? Prodigies exist. I was listening to, listening to a show the other day, right? Prodigies exist, but not everyone's a prodigy. Right. And so the, the tool that you would bring in with the REACH ecosystem where you could go after the initial test is 360s, right? right? You can incorporate this into your organization as a feedback tool. So every six months, what, like hopefully you have the luxury of getting this for your entire organization. And so your mid-level managers can evaluate their team members through 360 reviews. Um, or every six months, you know, team members are able to provide feedback. Upper level leadership is able to provide feedback to those, those low, you know, I guess those, those performers mm-hmm. who are under the mid-level manager and the mid-level manager provides this individual feedback. And it's it's not to like beat them down, it's to give them a healthy dose of reality. Yeah. Right? So, hey, I scored you scored yourselves you scored yourselves threes or fives in this area. Well, the areas that you scored yourself five in, wow, awesome news. Your peers agree. Like this is a great strength of yours. I'm gonna attest to it over and over and over again. We see XYZ happen. This one you scored yourself a three. I have great news. Your peers see you as more strong. Like this, they see this as a bigger strength than you see it in yourselves. Yeah. And I can test to that because X, Y, Z. This one, you scored yourself a four. 
but it, it seems to your, your peers and everyone else around you seem to indicate that this is a blind spot for you. Okay. So not, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. That doesn't mean you're, you're wrong. It just means that you have, you have opportunity to grow, right? Here's the coach coming out of me. Mm-hmm. Hey, this isn't, this isn't an issue. It's an opportunity, right, right. right? So it's an opportunity for you to grow. Coaches do talk a lot about opportunities, <laughs> don't they? So, so then, you know, this person can now have the additional resource. Hey, my team really cares enough about me to tell me, like, point this blind spot out. And they're not abandoned to be bad at this skill or competency. They have the resources, you know, to, to grow and their ability to listen and hear other and integrate yeah. diverse perspectives. It's interesting you should say, you bring up the 360s um, because I do think it, it takes what we're talking about to a whole different level. Like I can self-assess, but then uh, I can have other people tell me like what their opinions are in terms of where I rank in these 16 skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and while while we would say nothing in the skill sets is necessarily predeterminative of what job you can do, uh, when we when we raise the bar, and you and I have been talking recently about leadership, you know, the distinction between leadership and management, and as it always, like the conversations that you and I have, like bleed themselves into everything. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about it in a podcast, we'll probably be talking about it in a client meeting, we'll probably be talking about it at home or date night tonight. But like, <laughs> so it's funny that this is coming top of mind. I think it's a function of that. But when when um, I think one of the things that we would say is predeterminative of your ability to lead. Something you said to me this morning, uh, use Lencioni's paradigm of smart, hungry, humble, mm-hmm. right? So are, are, you, you know, are you smart enough to be competent, right? Are you hungry enough to like want to advance, to want to grow? You don't have a status quo mindset, but like humility. Like, and I think one of the things that you and I see that makes all the difference in good leaders and, and just, just good teammates is when you have a 360 review, are you more interested in their point of view, your point of view, or the gap between the two, Hmm. right? So like, I'm more interested in my point of, how did I score myself? And the gap, you know, like, the gap's either good or bad. You know, the gap's either, oh, well, they see me as better or they see me as worse, right? Or do you just not even wanna hear what other people think? Yeah. You know, or is your focus really on like, hey, I can self-assess my myself all day long. I'm way more interested in how four or five other people graded me in these 16 skill sets. That's who I want to listen to. Yeah. Um, and I and so my my encouragement, my challenge is like any of these tools that you pick up, like if there's a component of the tool similar to what Reach has in the 360s, where you can get other people's view, not just your view of how, where you sit on Myers Briggs or or disc or whatever, but if you get other people. And the nice thing too is like when those people give feedback in the reach ecosystem, they're not giving feedback on which, whether I'm D, I, S, or C, mm-hmm. right? They're giving feedback in reach. They're giving feedback on skill sets. Here's how I feel like you are in a skill set. Right. Well, if you feel like I'm low in a skill set, that just means that I can go work on that skill set. It's mm-hmm. like a, it is like a coach. It's like the coach saying, like, I've done this way more than you, got way more experience than you. I'm looking at your swing and this, this, and this, you know, we're kind of off. Okay, I can go to work on that, that, and that. Or I can argue with the coach and be like, oh, I, uh, this is the way God made me. Well, that's not what we're saying. These 16 skills are not the way God made you. These 16 skills are, are your ability as an individual, as a teammate, as a leader to up your game 
and expand your reach. Why is it called reach? It's called reach because the goal is really to expand your reach into those other four quadrants so that you can relate to people better. Right. You know, and, and I think the, the point they're making there, using the baseball analogy, is you got your slugger, right? And, and you know, like, the sluggers are made in a very specific way. Big legs, big burly guys, they're, they're powerful, right? They might be a catcher. Right, because they 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 may first not baseman. be right. Maybe first baseman. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because they have they, God made them. They're a, you know they're a specific profile, and they have competencies that are more natural to that profile. So they have a body style, and they have competencies that are more natural to that body style. Which means they can probably hit the ball a lot further or harder than maybe let's say an outfielder. Not necessarily. Not that he can't slug the ball. Right. But he's they're they're much faster, right? They're much more agile and able to change directions really quickly. They respond to the ball off the bat a lot quicker, and, and those are more natural to them. So they might be able to hit a lot more doubles, more triples, because they can hit a hit a you know seamer through the gap and run the bases a lot right. quicker. So why? Because that's their body style lends itself to those competencies. Now they can still. Work on, hey, pull your elbow in. You know, you got to work your hips more right. in your swing. I, I'm, I'm not a baseball player. I'm just using language that I've heard right. in the past. But they can still work on the technical skills to be able to, to make better contact with the ball, to, to have a better swing. But their body style and their, is going to lend itself to strengths in other areas. And, they, and we would say they can only work on those things if they're coachable. Right. Which comes back full circle to the humility aspect. Are you humble enough to take tools like this and work to get better? And that would be our encouragement to everybody who's listening. Like yeah. Whatever tool you use, be humble enough to put yourself in a position where it doesn't validate who you think you are, but it is an opportunity for you to learn more about who you are and, and get better at different skill sets. Yeah, yeah, good insights. All right, well, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, it's going to be fun. We've actually already done it, uh, so I'll tease it a little bit. We've got two good friends of ours who are 50-50 partners, and uh, we're teasing out like what, what makes a good 50-50 business marriage. And uh, it was a lot of fun, so I think you'll enjoy it next week. Until then, take care and reach out to us if you need to. All right. So uh, having done this once already, again, having recorded episode 51 before 50, we did the uh, after show for episode 51 already. And this is going to be something we're going to start doing more often just because we had so much fun doing it. Now, is Uh, this going to be a separate podcast? No, it's just going to keep playing. It's going to be published? So after the, if people listen long enough and don't turn off, they're, they're going to get an extra Yeah, because there's, like the, you know, there's like that 30 seconds of outro music, whatever. Right. And so if you don't like skip to the next, if you look at your podcast player and see, hey, there's, there's like, man, this is one hell of a long outro song. <laughs> Maybe you'll stick around and be like, oh, there must be, like, it's like the credits after the movie, right? If you stay after the Pixar movie, if you sit through that long list, you know you're in for a treat. Like there's gonna be a few more. So hopefully this is a treat. But it's it be, can be top totally off the original topic. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the direction it went the other day when we were recording with Jamie and David. But anything anything jump out? I I was thinking of um, 
and, and I probably should have mentioned it during the episode, but it is relevant to reach where uh, I was sharing with you earlier, we had we have these uh, partners who are in, in business together, and there's two of the partners who had expressed to me, like, man, we'd really like to see, we'd like this third partner, we'd like to have more insight. Because when we ask, we get these incredible ideas. And when, when, um, when they, they get involved, we're so much better for it. Can we get more of that? We, we've been wanting more of that for a long time. And I didn't know what to make of it. They had all been doing the reach profiles, but they had been sporadic, and I didn't have them when we started the first interview. So I just decided I'm going to go through the first three interviews with the, the partners. There's seven there were seven interviews, but I went through the first three before I looked at any of the REACH stuff. And I got the REACH stuff, and this, this individual that they wanted more involvement from was an advisor, so low achievement, low relational drive. One of the guys was right where I'm at, coach, counselor, and the other one was almost a thoroughbred coach. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden, it just kind of clicked for me. I'm like, man, like they, it's, I, f- I feel like for when, when I present this to this group, there's going to be like the sigh of relief because the two guys who want the involvement, I think, you know, in, in our minds, when we want something like that, a lot of times we're like, well, there must be something wrong with me, right? Maybe he's not happy with the job we're doing. Maybe yeah. she doesn't like the strategy we're pursuing. You know, maybe she's, um, maybe she never wanted to hire me in the first place. Like we, we tell ourselves all this stuff, right? right? And then you put something on the table and you're like, no, 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 no. Like you don't get it. Like, he doesn't even, you know, it's not that he doesn't see the need to interact with you guys, but that's not home base for him. Home base yeah. is closing the door, getting the work done. Yeah, and I, I think I think a clarification, to, or a, I guess a better explanation is not low achievement, no, low relational drive, right? It's high relational drive or high task orientation. And I wish, yeah, I mean, we've talked I should about have clarified before. that in the episode. So well, if you waited around long enough, <laughs> we keep we keep saying we hate. I don't know, hate's a strong word. One of the things we don't like about the way Reach presents the information is like zero to a hundred. Yeah, it would be much better. I'd prefer if they went zero to uh, positive fifty, zero to negative fifty, or something like that, where like the origin was right in the center, and we went. You know, one direction absolute value, the other direction right. absolute value. But yeah, for, for whatever reason, they don't. I, mean, it's, I guess it's simpler that way. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's 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 semantics. And once you understand the the system, once you understand the styles and the dimensions, you realize it's not high relating style, low relating style. It's high relational drive, high task drive, like a yeah. che- um, task orientation. Right. And so this guy, you know, this leadership team, this member. He sounds highly oriented towards the task at hand. And so when he gets, when he relates with the other guys, mm-hmm. he's relating to them around the task and they love his insights because he's swimming in that and he's, he's, that's what he's focused on. And they do get a lot of, in, like, but that's the interaction that they get with him. There's not, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of, you know, water cooler talk or dreaming about a, you yeah. know, some future topic. I mean, arguably, I've been working with this group for just a few weeks, um, so I don't have a ton of history to go off of. I can tell you one of the things that's really striking, regardless of the fact that they're all over the map on relational drive, like one's low, one's mid, and one's super high, 
the common thread, I've heard this so many times, pretty much every time I talk to any one of the three, I hear, we just really like working together. Mm. And I hear it from all three. All three have said, you know, like, as far as who I get to work with every day, fantastic. We might have frustrations in different areas of the business, but it's not with the people we're working with. That's what we want to keep the same. So and, why, why um, is that? What makes that... Uh, it, because we, we've run across this before, right? I can't say that this is the first time. But why can people who are completely different get along so well together? Well, I think, I mean, Reach does a lot of stuff, but it doesn't do everything. You know, it's like there, Reach, there's no niceness scale on Reach. Like you can be a super nice uh, advisor. You can be a super nice, you can be a jackass advisor. You can be a jackass coach. Right? Right. So I think part of it may just be a function of like they're good people. Like, there, again, reach doesn't measure moral or ethical behavior. Right. And I know I do know from the conversations I've had, like within the industry that these guys operate in, there's a lot of sketchy players. It's a it's very financially driven, um, and you know, money, you know, has the the ability to corrupt a lot of things. Motives mm-hmm. being a, a big one, and um, and I think so. I think part of it is just that just all really moral, ethical people. And they've found each other in this industry that feels like, man, we're like the outliers, and they enjoy that. And then, you know, the longer you work together, the more you share life together. And it's like, you know, we were saying um, in the conversation we had earlier this week, you know, it's, it's hard, the, the quote, it's hard to hate people up close. Yeah. It was that quote. You, you yeah, gave, Brene Brown. Brene Brown says it's hard to hate people up close. We were talking about racism or something like that. Um, but I, I think that's, you know, one of the things, that one of the, the reasons that like team building activities and stuff pay such huge dividends back in the office, whether it's going to top golf together or a rock climbing wall or co- corporate retreat and you know hanging out at the hotel lobby bar, sharing a few drinks, is because you do get to know each other up close and personal. Like what we're talking about, and some sense what we're talking about with reach, is an artificial mechanism for us to get to know each other in a way that we probably would get to know each other if we had a decades-long relationship. Right. It's like a shortcut. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think for these guys, they have, regardless of the fact that this is the first time they're seeing reach, they've worked with each other long enough to share enough life experience together to know that they just genuinely, they, they, I don't want to say they genuinely like each other. I think that's true. I think what we're talking about is they know each other well enough to extend that goodwill. Mm-hmm. And if, if we use reach, you know, like one of the practical benefits of reach for us is possibly it's a way to start building rapport and goodwill faster, you know, or, or it's a way to get some momentum behind that flywheel. Yeah. And then... You know, we don't run corporate retreats. We don't run, we don't take, maybe we should take clients to top golf. That wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, but, we're, you know, we're not like event planners. We're not party people. We're not facilitators. We're not team building coaches. That's not like, the way that you and I typically approach building reports. Like, hey, let's go to work in the business shoulder to shoulder mm-hmm. and let's solve important problems together. And we're going to get to know each other that way too. Yeah. And, but this is, this kind of gives us a jump start. Hey, let me tell you something you may not have even known about yourself, or maybe you knew it about yourself, but like you were saying on the intuitive versus analytical, it's like, oh man, that's kind of refreshing. And yeah. how often do we see that when we do reach? 
Oh, know, it's all, like one of the funnest things that we do. It's it, all the time. I think the best one is we we tend to all know the stereotypical driver because they we kind of characterize them as the bulldozer, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if they're Let's say they are they are a nice person, right? Let's say they're gen, generally, generally, let's say they're generally jovial, right? More positive attitude. They they're still about getting things done, but they they still don't take themselves too seriously, right? Right? They're they're a comedian, let's say. We have seen that where this driver, like we present this to the whole team, and then it becomes it becomes a joke, mm-hmm. right? Not not at the other person's expense, but they're laughing too. They're laughing with. Yeah. They're laughing with them because they're now like, "Oh my goodness, I'm gonna poke so much fun at him with this when he totally, when he misses my, when he hurts my feelings, or you know where I used to have hurt feelings because this person or this girl just bulldozed me. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them know that they hurt my feelings or that they didn't consider my feelings. But now I'm not gonna take it personal. Yeah. Right. And then so that you start getting nicknames being tossed around the office because. We, we have this insight to an individual that we would have gotten if we put up with, if we had committed to enter into relationship with them for an extended period of time or had the luxury of being in relationship with them over an extended period of time. You know, eventually you start to get pretty comfortable, like calling a person, yeah. you know, calling out their, their skeleton. And, and that's, that's what reach it does. It helps you to see that very quickly. It makes the, the process more efficient. It's funny when you talk about the styles. I, I think we may maybe we sweat the zero to a hundred, you know, good versus bad aspect of it more than we need to. Because when you think about the, you just it made me think of the driver. So like I'm thinking of the the half day workshop you led, yeah. where like there was the stereotypical <laughs> driver in there. It was a guy and he was in the sales department and he was so far down and right, he was literally in the white space, like where the corners rounded off the graph, right? And yeah. it became it became a running joke for the day, and he was laughing along with him. Why was he laughing? I think part of it is because we identify with our... It's part of our identity. Like, I don't think many people take the assessment and wind up as a driver and like, man, I really want to be a counselor. They're like, damn right I'm a driver, you know? <laughs> and not many of the counselors are like, man, I wish I could be a coach. Like... No, I mean, I like to be the. I'm, I'm the one everybody comes to. Like, well, I'm the. I'm the one. The first one that gets invited to the barbecue. You know, like people love to hang out with me. Yeah. And uh, and so we may sweat that aspect of a little bit more than we need to. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think there's huge value in in a work context where we don't have those venues to spend a lot of time together. To be like, hey, whether you knew it or not, you're a driver, and they're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a driver. That's I like I'm a driver. And you're like, I'm a counselor. Like, yeah, you, you damn right, you're a counselor. Like, you're, <laughs> man, you're always at the water cooler, right? right? And the reason people can laugh about it is because there's a sense of pride in who they are, and like, you don't get people don't get upset when you affirm who they are. No, right? They get they they loosen up a little bit, maybe. Yeah, there's a there's a positive there's a validation. That, because on the I think on the other side of that, you have the dry, you do have people who they know this is me, this is my personality, like I, this is where I'm most comfortable. This is this is who God made me. 
I, I, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I would also, from personal experience, you know, from my perspective, I also look at the competencies and I look at the other things that counselors are good at. Maybe this is my high achievement drive. I don't know. But I, I, I want to, I feel a little bit, you know, like I'm missing out. I'm missing out on the whole experience because... You want to be everything. I want to be everything. <laughs> you know, I want to be an advisor. I want to be good at those things. I, I want to be a counselor because I, I think there's a tender, nurturing... Um, it, you know, and it could be that what I'm ascribing, I mean, it could just be like I might be imprinting on pe- on people more security or less insecurity than may exist in some cases. I mean, mm. it could be that if you're, you know, if you suffer from some kind of insecurity, doesn't matter which quadrant you're in. You're well, no, wishing I, I you think were I'm agreeing. A I, I'm definitely agreeing with you. I'm I'm not saying I wish I was a different one. I'm just kind of painting the whole picture is that there are times in my style where I want to be those other things. And so there are some, there might be, I guess what you would say, some some head trash that gets me to, to kind of be in the pits. If I'm like, oh, I'm not everything, I right. want to be everything. Well, this is where I would, I would push back on you and be like, what you, what you want to be is good at stuff. What you want to be is good at skills. So the encouraging part of, of reach is they actually tell you, hey, if you, if you admire that counselor because you look at them and you're like, they're good at this. Well, this is what they're good at. Go work on these four skills yeah. and you'll be able to say, I'm still a coach, but I'm also, I can also be good at what the counselor is good at. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. But I, so going back to what you were saying earlier is I never, I never get into a scenario where somebody comes to me, you know, my wife, for example, and says, you can start a conversation with anybody. And I don't feel some validation, some like sure. sense of fulfillment. Like I'm, I'm doing what God made me to do when I'm in relationship with people. Right. I, never, I never turn that down, you know? Sure. I, we like talking about ourselves. We like being affirmed and validated in our right. strengths. So I, I would say, you know, there's both sides. There are definitely, there's a, there's a lighthearted genuine like delight when we say this is who you are and it's a it's a wow yeah now I have words I have more insight into who I am and that makes perfect sense and there's also the there's the other side of that which you know you might say yeah I I like knowing who I am but deep down you know if you're I don't know. We we're both achievers. We're both on the far right of the scale. Maybe we should yeah, ask a counselor what they think about this. Missing, we're missing, missing half the story here. The right? I'm missing the counselor who who maybe doesn't have that desire to be every every style. Well, like so, is it? It's achievement drive, right? That's contented or yeah, contented or competitive. Competitive, mm-hmm. and that's the number one. And that, is that the number one for? High, most highly weighted? No, the the intensity scale okay. is um, achievement drive. So where are you at on contented versus? I'm I'm more contented. Are you? Yeah. So that's that's the one cool thing I love about Reach is if you some of the reports that you get after you take a test kind of show you where you rank among the population. So you know some fifty thousand plus people who've taken the Reach profile. And then, based on your profile, based on whether you're a counselor, coach, driver, advisor, where you compare on a given dimension to all the other to all the other coaches. That's on the individual report, the personal style report. There's a there's a leadership development report that shows you that, and that's it, that's again. Is that only available if you do like an individual 
like yeah so that doesn't show up if you do like one of the multi-select team reports yeah so yeah in, internally in the system for way too technically technical for radio here but if right. you click on multiple people and you select team insights you get that compare compare everybody in the organization compare five people in the organization right. and see where they how different they are in their dimensions gotcha. if you select an individual and you just look at their personal reports you can select again another leadership development report gotcha. and that shows you where you compare to other people in the population and in your given profile on a on a said dimension so i think when it comes to the competitiveness scale or the the um i so many different dimensions running through my head on the intensity scale i i tend to be somewhere in the middle let's go down to the affiliation scale or the consideration and status motivation that's the one we're looking for it's like the least weighted on the relational styles uh, you have competitive and contented that's oh that's on the relational i thought that was on the cheap no no so that and that's because the the dimension describes like are we more excited about individual achievement or are we okay if the team wins okay. so it excites me when the team works together and gets like when we can celebrate as a team i i like that so I'm I'm not as contented as most coaches. I think I'm on the lower end of the scale when it comes to most yeah. most coaches, but I, I I'm still I still fall within the range. Yeah. So interesting. Anything else you want? Anything else jump out on you or on your end? Oh, I was going to talk about um, like that reflection. Uh, so it was reflective versus confident mm -hmm. like when we're talking about this strikes me as one of the biggest reasons to create that safe environment right to safe connected future the people are going to have to listen Daniel to Coyle. 50 if people are, if you are listening to this point you're going to have to go listen to podcast number 51 and then come back to... Oh, did we talk about that with... We did. Oh, in the after show. In the after 51. show of 51. Okay. So go listen to the after show for 51. And then come back right here. And come back. But, um, yeah, so we're talking about, like, basically creating a safe environment where people are comfortable to, to, to take risk. I don't say take risk, but, I mean, like, what brass tacks are talking about a safe conference room? Like, when your leadership team gets together, right. is it a safe or a safe Zoom call? where I can tell you what's going on in my world or I can put an idea on the table and I'm not worried about it getting shot down. And like, for, so I think, you know, it made me think of some of the teams we've been struggling with, with like safe environment with. Yeah. And wanted to go back and like say, where do they sit on the bold versus confidence scale? And I'm wondering if we have just a lot of bold people. Um, I don't think that's all of it, but, but, that made me think is like if you've got a reflective person and you don't have a safe environment, like you're screwed. You're never going to get that person. If you have an unsafe environment and you have a bold person, you might potentially get some debate around the table or you might get some, some issues surfaced and get them to work on. But you're missing such a huge part when the reflective people are just totally bowed out of the conversation because it's not a safe place for them. Yeah, so let's let's look at it from this perspective, right? So we this is where the dimensions can become so helpful because 
let's say you have an individual who is very reflective or, or very confident. That is associated with drivers and coaches. So there's, let's just say you go down to, um, so we, we have assertiveness. We have somebody who's more confident, which is going to drive them to be either more, either a coach or a driver, right? If that's the only dimension you're looking at. And then on the other side, um, you have somebody who is much more, let's just say in their affiliation, they're very independent, right? So somebody who's independent and very confident, but also very objective, right? So you're starting to get this like mix of, 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 dimensions that are not, we talked about this just a few minutes ago, where I can look at myself, I can look at my dimensions and say, where do my dimensions fall in line? Like, am I in line with where most advisors sit or most drivers sit? Or am I kind of out of like countercultural to all my other? Exactly. On those scales. Right. So what I'm, what I think you're picking up on here is you might have somebody who displays certain dimensions that are in line with their typical profile. And then they have other dimensions that are not related to their specific profile, but they are, they're still that given profile. And you know, it seems kind of like there's, there's, an, there's just this conflict. There's an internal conflict there. Um, maybe not internal conflict, but you start to see the conflict in relationships because it's like, man, this person is kind of hard to pin down. Like yeah. they're, they're really intense and they're really confident, but they, they're, not, they're not really relational at all and that's that's where you start to see maybe where um you know somebody who's not nice you know not not maybe isn't good people mm-hmm. um who's kind of a jackass like that's where you start to see those dimensions in a bad light well i also think of um more a podcast so i can't say names but i'm thinking of a very particular individual <laughs> and i'm thinking like this person doesn't speak up a lot in meetings but really bold right which points to a different problem like you would you would be making without a tool like reach i would be making an assumption that this person is just a wallflower mm. but i think when, when, if we looked at the reach we'd find out this person's bold there's a different reason for the disengagement mm. right and i think that's where like you kind of move past the elementary, middle, and high school level, and you kind of get into the graduate level of understanding people and how they're wired and what's really going on. And I, and I, you know, I, I worry that a lot of business owners are still stuck in that elementary, middle, and high school level, thinking they know their people really well. Uh, we didn't even talk about. Maybe we talked about this in in the first episode, but uh, on this topic, but like the propensity to hire people that look just like you. Yeah. Right? And we've run into those organizations where the CEO makes the final decision on all the hires and, and probably maybe in some cases does like the first or the second interview or the first and the second interview. And you look at the the plot map of all the people in the organization and the CEO's a coach and every damn person in the building's a coach, you know, right. or close to it. Um, so I, I think you you run that risk where you th- you think I know my people like I hired all these people like mm-hmm. I I've I've done life with these people for ten years, um, and you're you're chalking it up that that 
John over there, you know, he's just a wallflower. It's hard to get stuff out of him. John's not a wallflower. John's bold. John's mm. confident. He he knows what he knows. He's just not willing to share with this group because he doesn't he doesn't have either maybe he doesn't have an ounce of confidence you guys will ever execute on it. Maybe he feels like it's wasted on this company because it's not a company that's worth his time or energy. He's just hmm. checked out. Like it, I think once you, if you can use these tools to their fullest, which is a tall order. I mean, it's yeah. a. You know about more about this in our company than anybody. And I know and like been on the tip of the iceberg. Two years, right? Right. Um, but you know, to have that kind of resource inside a company that gets certified, goes through the training, but like. You interact with it so often because we have so many clients that use it. We use it for every client. You know, some of them go really deep in it and have you bring it into their team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a lot to ask, but maybe, maybe not. I mean, the the advantage is that if you're using it on your team, the people don't change that often, right? It seems like a stretch for me because we're using it for so many different teams, so many different people. Uh, but I can see where if you're an HR person inside a company or you're the the, the CEO inside the company and you take it upon yourself to like I'm gonna I'm gonna be a better leader I'm gonna know my people and know what makes them tick. Um, we talk we preach one on ones all the time, right? So right. why so this makes me think like why do I why am I not taking the opportunity because I I could pull your personal style report your leadership profile and. Um, and I'd be surprised by some stuff I saw in there. because Not, not surprised in the sense there's some stuff in there I don't remember. I've seen it multiple times. Right. There's some stuff in there I don't remember. I mean, I'd pull out my report and go, really? Right. <laughs> I, I don't remember that. So we, you and I have our, our one-on-one today mm-hmm. that happens every month. I should have a hard copy somewhere around here on my phone of your report that I can get to at a moment's notice and just be like, flip through it and like, huh, like Devin's bold, confident, but doesn't seem like he's given us much input on this. That I'm going to ask him about that or we're going to go into that. So anyway, I'm talking out loud. But no, it's thinking I, out loud. that's the beauty of it. You know, it's when you have the tool, you, you start to figure out, I, I think you're, you're a carpenter, right? So not like a full-blown carpenter, but no, you love woodworking. Novice woodwork, yeah. You love woodworking, and you have the tool. And once you have the tool, you can learn a lot about the different things that you can make with that tool. And I, that's that's what that's what the Reach ecosystem does for you. Is like you you can have the basic level insights that help you understand the different dynamics on your team and the different, <clears throat> I guess, individual personalities that make up your team. And that's great. But you can also dig in and you can evaluate, you can use the tool to evaluate a conflict. You can use the tool to evaluate a a decision to make a change in a process. Mm -hmm. And you can say, you can use it to say, evaluate how are people responding to the process change? Well, these people are responding to the process change in this way. Okay, well, that's, that's in line with their personality. Let's go figure out how we can help them. You know, they, they seem to be pretty stressed. Let's go figure out what, what extra love we can give to them to make sure that they're, we can find some, some consistency here. And that's you start realizing different ways to use the tool. And 
you know, build build those relationships with your teammates and your 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 employees. So it's a, it's it's a very it, robust tool. It, yeah, and uh, you make a good point. It is just a tool. I can read all the so if it's a if it's a square, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. some measuring thing. I can read the manual. I can read lots of books. I can watch lots of videos. Or I can just go in the garage and start using the tool. Yeah, I'm probably going to remember more of the stuff that I started using the tool. And like, challenge for us is to, for the clients who have this tool in their repertoire because they've asked us to add it. You know, are we are we going into the shop and looking at the workbench and going, man, you haven't used that tool in a while. You need to pull this one out and put it in your in your apron, and it needs to be part of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Or I don't want to come back next month and find out it's got dust on it again. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting way too deep into the metaphors here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think that's it. All right. good? Yep. We're good. All right. That's why I think that's how we finished the last one. Let's go eat. Let's go eat. (laughs) That's a good thing. Sign off.